Hello there and welcome to TWM, the weekly roundup programme of the Scottish Football Monitor, asking the questions the mainstream media will not ask, right here at sfm.scot. It's a great sadness to be talking about the tragic loss of life caused by the crash of an aircraft carrying the Brazilian football team Chapecoense last Monday. 71 people lost their lives, the third greatest suffered in similar sporting tragedies. At this stage, that's all we know. We don't know for sure what caused it, whether it was a human, corporate or mechanical failure, but what we all unite in doing is to send our thoughts and best wishes in solidarity to the families of the victims. I'm John Cole, and this week we'll be talking with Paul Goodwin of the Scottish Football Supporters Association. Paul will be speaking of his hopes for the fledgling organisation and his efforts to build a coalition of fans which is significant and powerful enough to have a say in the running of the game. We'll also be talking to David Lowe, to be honest, more for my benefit than anybody else's, and I'm hoping that he'll be able to make sense of the headlines created over the recent Rangers AGM resolution outcomes. All that in due course, uh, but it is all about the game on the park after all. And what a weekend, in fact, what a week it's been. First of all, Friday was Hibs that day at Tannadice, as the championship leaders had their points advantage wiped out, thanks to a late than the United penalty, after Hibs had missed one of their own. Hibs are still in top, of course, in goal difference, but they're making hard work at the league already. And the warnings of Paul Kane in this programme a couple of weeks ago are, sadly from a Hibs perspective, I think, looking like prophecies. Hibs and the United also look to be opening up in a gap on the rest, but that top spot is vital for, to- for both clubs, and the Championship looks like being a real contest at last. At Fir Park, Celtic came from 0-2 down at half-time to draw level at 2 each, only to go behind again right away. In the most thrilling match of the Premiership so far this year, the Glasgow side scored again twice to take all three points and break well hearts. Aberdeen again let their fans down badly with yet another timid performance in Glasgow, this time against Rangers at Ibrox, where they went down 1-2. Despite that poor showing, the Dons still squandered chances to go ahead before Kenny Miller, Rangers MVP so far this year, despite the fact that he was in the class above my dad at school, scored a great striker's goal to put his side in the front foot. From Rangers' point of view, the result eased the pressure on Mark Warburton after his team's midweek collapse against Hearts at Tynecastle. A Hearts side who lost their manager on Thursday to MK Dons and probably threw away a lead at the weekend in Dingwall to take only a point. St Johnson, though, are again charging up in the rails and are back in touch with the top four, capitalising on Hearts and Aberdeen slips with a 3-0 win of their own against Inverness at home. And Kelly dragged themselves into the top six at the expense of Motherwell when they defeated Dundee 2-0 at Rugby Park. Whilst the bottom six pair, Thistle and Ackies, shared the points in a 1-1 draw at Hamilton. The swings and roundabouts of League Fortune, the excitement and grammar of Tynecastle on Wednesday and Fir Park on Saturday are for sure not at English Premiership levels. However, the game in Scotland is still at a bigger and better level than the English League One. Even Robbie Nielsen himself must have recognised the irony in the manner of his departure from Hearts on Thursday. He walked away from a packed Tynecastle on Wednesday night basking in the full gaze of an entire nation, filled with skill, thrills, drama and ultimately success for his side. The following day, he'd given all this up for the grey concrete cows of Milton Keynes. In terms of prestige and level, a step down for him. Irritatingly, MK Dons have more cash to spend on a manager than Hearts. And taking what I've just said into account, the Nielsen situation is a timely reminder that English football is built on already shifting sands of TV money. Nielsen will profit financially, of course, 
but in terms of prestige and achievement and the loss of a promising young manager to the Scottish game, it demonstrates, to me at least, that Scottish football suffers incommensurately from the TV money sloshing around in England, due mostly to our proximity. Perhaps one of the biggest arguments for a British league, especially now that post-Indy ref we know how much the UK loves us, is that we should have access to that money as well. It's either the United Kingdom or a cherry-picked one. There was a time when Scottish clubs were compensated for losing talent to England, but post-Bosman, with ever more avaricious scouting, mopping up increasingly younger talent, Scotland has become a de facto free development academy for our big cousin south of the border. In a British league structure, is there any set of circumstances where a successful Hearts manager could be poached by a League One club? No chance. At the recent Rangers AGM, the results of resolutions and elections were not published. They had to wait until due process had been carried out and votes tallied. The result was that Resolution 10, which authorised the board to issue new shares, was carried. But Resolution 11, which authorised the board to issue new shares, was not carried. I'm a bit confused, so I asked David Lowe to throw a spotlight on it for me. I spoke to him on his return from the Emirates Stadium in Glasgow, where his basketball team, Glasgow Rocks, were playing Surrey Scorchers. But before talking about that, I asked him first about the Rangers AGM resolutions and their possible consequences. David, there were two resolutions at the Rangers AGM which authorised the board to issue shares, resolutions 10 and 11. The first one got passed and the second failed. First of all, what's the difference between the two? Well, Resolution 10 was a resolution that allowed the Ranger, or allows the range of directors to issue shares to existing shareholders in proportion to the shareholdings that they own. So Rangers have the power to raise capital from their existing shareholder base. And that resolution was passed. That was a 50% resolution. The more significant resolution which failed for the second year running was the resolution that sought to disapply preemption rights. Uh, and every man speak, that means that uh, they would have been able to issue shares at a predetermined price to specific individuals. The implication being that the individuals that have put loans, soft loans into the company thus far uh, would be able to, if they so wanted to, convert their loans into equity in the company. Now, this, of course, uh, would have meant that... Uh, those in charge just now would have consolidated their position in the company, gained more control than they have just now at the expense of all other shareholders that were not offered shares in that resolution. So it's a, a pursuant to that resolution. So it's a, it's quite a controversial one, uh, although quite a common one. And uh, the fact that it failed by such a narrow margin for the second year running must be seen as a disappointment to the current Rangers board. So tell me this then, in that case, just to, to clarify, the Resolution 10, they can issue uh, some equity in order to bring in some funds, uh, but they would have to offer the equity to the existing shareholders so that their current shareholding wouldn't be diluted, yes? Yes, essentially yes. Right, so therefore, do you think they'll still go ahead and do that in order to try and bring in some money? Well, I don't know. Uh, it would seem likely, but uh, you know, Rangers have two main problems just now. In no particular order, uh, a major problem is the fact that there are, the board uh, do not have a controlling position. And it's almost a prerequisite, if you want it, of, of putting your business plan into motion, that you have to have control. Uh, Fergus McCann insisted on it you know, when he was uh, 
came to Celtic in 1994, uh, and the board really sought to do that. And the passing of that resolution, the conversion of debt to equity, you know, would have allowed the present incumbents to gain an essentially controlling position. And that's a good thing. I had that resolution passed and they got to that position from their point of view. The second thing is that's apparent is it does need money. Either the board uh, can put more and more loans in, but it, that would mean on the never-never in, in the absence of the special resolution, resolution 11 being passed. Or, you know, they could deal with any cash problem uh, by offering shares to all the other shareholders in equal proportion to what they, they hold. And that would involve Mike Ashley as well and all of the other shareholders. But that in itself uh, would solve, could solve, could solve the financial problem, but not the control problem. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. So, so they could solve the financial problem, but but in the short term, obviously, because the, you know there's only so many shares that they're, that they're allowed to issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the amount of shares that say, they're allowed to issue was specified in the resolutions, and uh, I, I think the resolution ten allowed them to you know almost double the share capital should they should so determine. What and what's the the capital value of the shares at the moment? Well, there's two aspects to that uh, off the top of the head, and I do stand to be corrected by very clever Rangers fans, and that is off the top of the head, there are 81 million shares in issue, 81 million or so. Uh, So the amount of money they could raise would be dependent on what price they applied to those shares. So up to 81 million shares times X, X being the price. Uh, So... The price aspects are very difficult to work out because they are not listed. The shares are not listed on any recognised stock exchange. Uh, there's been less than two dozen trades on Jenkins since the shares were delisted uh, in 2015. Uh, I think the last trades were around uh, the 27 pens level last time I, I, I looked. But my guess is that since the, the shares were delisted, since uh, the financial accounts to June. Uh, have been have have come out that there's been a sort of further deterioration in the, the financial situation. So I, I I would I would speculate that and it is a speculation that uh, a share issue price you know would be around the ten pens mark, give or take ten percent. Yeah, well, that was going to be my, my my baby question kind of thing. If they were because if the shares were around about twenty seven pence, then I, I would have thought that if they're doubling the share capital, then that would immediately half the value of the of the the current shares in existence. Does it normally work like that? Well, technically, but that only becomes a debatable issue if you don't take up your rights issue entitlement, because every shareholder under Resolution Ten would have the ability to buy more shares in Rangers, so should they so desire. And if they did not so desire, you know, that would be them that made the decision. So in, in, in that respect, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But uh, do the value would, if they bought shares at 10 pence, if that was the price, uh, that offer would be made to everybody under Resolution 10. I think there's another wee question here, which is just arisen from something you said there, and that is that we always look at at the uh, at the control problem as as being uh, one for the Rangers board or uh, for for Dave King and, and and his colleagues. But what about the control problem from the perspective of Mike Ashley? Why would he be so determined um, to to prevent the resolution eleven? 
you know, I mean, he's, he's got a nine percent stake just now, and he knows that with resolution ten passing, that if he wants to maintain that 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 nine percent, that he's going to have to base, basically double his investment. Well, he can afford it. He can afford it more than anybody else can afford it, and uh, I, I think it's literally uh, not literally literal uh, pocket money for him. No, the issue is resolution eleven. It's a matter of fact that Mike Ashley owns all of uh, Newcastle United and the football rules do not allow him to acquire any more of another member of the International Football Board, which uh, Rangers come into via the SFA. So therefore, he's not allowed to buy more shares or increase his stake without the consent of the SFA. Also, uh, the whole purpose, I think it's not unreasonable to conclude that the whole purpose of resolution 11 was to dilute the influence and the percentage shareholding held by Mike Ashley and other perceived undesirables uh, to have the effect of the incumbents in, on the Rangers board strengthening the position and gaining that controlling uh, uh, aspect which, which they don't have just now. Because I'm pretty sure Mr. Ashley and others that are perceived to be in and around him or against uh, the Rangers board would not have been offered any of these shares should resolution have passed. But it's academic now. It wasn't passed. And uh, therefore, for the time being, it won't happen. But I have to say, you know, Rangers could call as technically as many general meetings as they want until it was passed because it was only very narrowly failed. Technically, they could have a call another general meeting uh, in January, uh, to uh, with the same resolution, seeking to achieve the same objective, and if that failed, they could do it again. Technically, I'm not saying they will. I'm not suggesting they will, and I'm not suggesting they should. But uh, that is a possibility. Uh, and the only reason why they would do that is because it's considered doing that is because it's such a, an important aspect of what they're doing right now. Without that. To the ability to convert their equity into their loans into equity, uh, they're basically having to lend money to the club on the never never. Well, so, well, I suppose uh, that that brings us back kind of full circle there as well, because now that they haven't got it through, and given the fact that I suppose calling e, uh, EGM after EGM is a pretty costly business for a uh, for, for a company that doesn't have a lot of spare cash, um, where where does that leave them? Uh, you know, if they if they give up on the resolution eleven idea, well, they won't give up on the resolution idea. Uh, I can say that with near certainty. And the reason why is because uh, it's a horrible position to be in if you're being asked if you have uh, a significant amount of money uh, lent to a business which you don't control and which is continuing to lose money and which you're being asked to continually. Uh, lend more money to. That is an unsustainable uh, situation, an unpalatable situation, and a situation that cannot and will not persist indefinitely. And in seeing that, I don't think it's particularly controversial to say that. It should be obvious to everybody that uh, the present situation is unsustainable. So I, I would speculate that this resolution will be, uh, will, will be revisited again, probably before uh, the next uh, annual general meeting to approve the current year's accounts because it's such an important element to what's going on at Rangers. 
So, so you think then that that, uh, that the, the likelihood is that they will call an EGM at, at some point, when probably when they think they've got enough votes to be able to get it through? Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a, a very real possibility. There are other possibilities and other routes to uh, to uh, that could give them control, but they're 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 more controversial. Going into administration uh, is an option. I think the only thing you can you can say with with near certainty is that. Uh, the current situation is unsustainable. So, apart from uh, the, so, so what if if there was a situation where you know that none of the the the, the people who had voted uh, against Resolution Eleven appeared to be shifting? Um, what would the situation be then? Obviously, it would be pointless for them to call a meeting then because you know they they ain't going to get it through again. So, so what are the as you say the the current situation can't persist? So, therefore, what are the options? If Resolution Eleven is off the table, well, uh, I'm suggesting it's not off the table. But uh, the other options are you just proceed as you are, uh, come to an accommodation uh, with the other shareholders, have a rights issue because right, a rights issue will bring in money. Mm-hmm. They have authority to have a rights issue. That is to offer shares to all the other shareholders in proportion to their shareholding. Uh, they can uh, raise money that way, and they can convert some of their loans into that uh, that way as well. But uh, it doesn't deal with the control issue in the way that Resolution 11 would have. Mm-hmm. You know, the percentages would essentially stay the same, unless a whole lot of shareholders uh, eschewed uh, the opportunity of increasing their shareholdings. And that that would have a pro, uh, you know, that would mean that those that did would have a a greater percentage of what they had before. Don't you think then that they they have to proceed on the basis of Resolution Ten? Because if if they, if they didn't proceed on the basis of the authority they were given under Resolution Ten, then it would clearly be seen that the, the whole point of this exercise is nothing to do with bringing money into Rangers, but only to get control, and and that would lose them a lot of support amongst the the fans. You would imagine. Well, I might not lose them support amongst the fans. It, 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 it would certainly uh, lose them uh, support amongst the shareholders that were not offered shares. But I, as I say, that's academic now because that's not going to happen because the resolution failed. Control is an important thing and not a bad thing. Fergus McCann insisted on having control because uh, he was putting a significant amount of money in it. And if you're investing a, a significant amount of money in any business or a football club, it's not unreasonable to uh, seek control. But it has to be through consensus, uh, uh, and that that is the issue. So control and wanting control is, is not necessarily a bad thing. But the problem is uh, they have not been able to gain that control through consensus, uh, and that's the problem. So they have to deal with the hand they're given. The hand they're given means that if they want to raise new equity, uh, those shares have to be offered to the other shareholders in proportion to the shares that they hold just now. You mentioned the A word uh, <clears throat> earlier on. The administration is is being one of the options that, that that's open to them. How uh, w- would that work for them? I mean, a how would it work, and how would it would it benefit them in their, their quest for control? Well, first of all, I, I think administration is extremely un- unlikely, and in normal circumstances, it would would be uh, particularly unpalatable. Uh, uh, and uh, if I had to speculate again, I would say that administration is not going to happen uh, because of all the implications of uh, of going down that route. You know, there's a 
a loss of points, uh, a loss of earnings, a loss of a further loss of credibility, uh, respect to further court cases. Uh, there's no guarantee who would end up owning it. It's, it, it's I, I genuinely can't see it happening. It's an option, but I, I, I would be uh, amazed if if Rangers went into uh, administration again. So. Okay, Even so that I, I'm not going to say anything more about that. No, 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 fair enough. But, but okay, so so you think administration is unlikely at the moment? Resolution twelve at uh, eleven. Sorry, resolution twelve. I'm resolutions in the brain here. Uh, resolution eleven is uh, is off the table. So where where do they go from from there? Just keep feeding the club money and and soft loans and just hope that something resolves itself soon with regard to resolution eleven. Well, one thing they can't do, in my opinion, is do nothing. I mean, uh, it should be obvious that doing nothing, uh, which involves continuing to lose money, continuing to lend, uh, or the board continuing to lend more money to the club on the never-never, the club not having enough money for uh, CapEx, capital expenditure of its infrastructure, uh, problems with... uh, improving the quality of the team, all of these issues. I, I mean, I think that's an unpalatable issue of doing nothing. Uh, it doesn't get you anywhere or it doesn't get you anywhere good. So it does need more capital. Uh, it does need a significant degree of uh, more capital. And at this moment in time, uh, the only way to do that is to uh, have a share issue and that share issue would involve issuing shares to all the shareholders in proportion to what they already have. If Another you... possibility is that there could be a, a bid for the company either from within uh, the current shareholder profile or uh, from an independent third party. That's a possibility, which I've heard a few rumours uh, about. Are we talking uh, Blue Knights here again, Ryan Kennedy? Well, I've, I've forgotten who's a blue knight, who's a black knight, or a white knight, or a whatever knight, or whether there's three <laughs> bears, four bears, or whatever. It's very confusing, uh, and there's a lot of crossover. Uh, so, Brian Kennedy is a name that's been mentioned. Uh, he might have associates uh, in and around the board or in, a, in and around the shareholder base. It's impossible to tell, but he's certainly got money. He's certainly got ability. He's certainly got the wherewithal. He's associated with you know, Graham Souness, who's obviously a Rangers man. Precisely because the situation is un- un- unsustainable as it is, uh, you can't rule out uh, a third-party intervention from the likes of uh, Brian Kennedy. I was going to say how receptive do you think the board would be to something like that, but then again, the the, the board is is not just a, a big sort of homogenous group, is it? You know, it's it's a coalition of uh, of various different personalities, and there's always a chance that that maybe there's the, there's some fractures in, in in that coalition. Well, I think you've hit it on the nail there. Uh, I mean, they're not a homogenous group. Uh, some are based in, in the UK, some are based overseas, some have a lot of money, others have less. They have, they won't have identical aspirations and wish lists. Uh, when a situation is uh, stressed, uh, uh, Rangers is, is there will be tensions, uh, frictions, and fissures. So I'm basically saying I'd, I'd be surprised if the present situation continued as is, because in so many different fronts it, it, it doesn't work. Your football club needs stability one way or another. 
and it needs money one way or another. And the group or the individual that provides that will be the 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 guy or the group that takes it forward. Uh, but uh, there has to be a change in the status quo. Okay, David. Well, I think that the, the one thing that we can say for sure uh, about the AGM, which we thought might bring some closure to the to the current chapters, has certainly provided none of that whatsoever. And of course, the the uh, the winter court season is about to begin as well. So we've maybe got a wee bit of respite until uh, around about that time. But David, thanks very much for uh, giving us your time. I know that your uh, your uh, your basketball team won last night and got into a final of some sort. Yeah, uh, Glasgow Rocks are in the final of the the British Basketball League Cup. Uh, I think the finals on the 15th of January in uh, in Birmingham. And we will be playing the winner of London Lions versus Newcastle Eagles. So I'm looking forward to that. Good chance to win it, yeah. But with some, well, uh, the team is on a bit of a roll. Uh, it's won, uh, I think it's 12 games in a row. And uh, it's got a bit of uh, backbone about it this year. So I, I, I'm pretty confident that... Uh, the British Cup will come home to Glasgow for the first time in a long while. And good luck to Glasgow Rocks, and thanks very much to David for giving us his time. The Scottish Football Supporters Association, or SFSA for short, set up just over a year ago by former supporters direct boss Paul Goodwin, has attracted 65,000 members who are disenchanted with the fans' end of the football deal. Disaffection with authority is, of course, our motto at SFM, so we asked former Stirling Albion director Paul what all the fuss is about. Yeah, the, the Scottish Football Supporters Association um, was established about 18 months ago, really a, a desire to fill a gap. Uh, Scotland, strangely, has never had an independent fans organisation uh, that's been able to represent right across the, you know, the, the, the fans groups. Uh, and individual fans. So we, we kind of copied the model, um, quite unashamedly, uh, from the Football Supporters Federation in England, which is, you know, brilliantly established itself as, uh, as a route for France to, you know, protest where protest is required and things like the 20s, 20s Plenty campaign, as well as uh, standing up for issues for fans and trying to reflect where the game is and where it may, maybe the fans think it should be going. The long-term aim, uh, I, I would imagine, is to get some uh, significant and serious fan input into the run of the game. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I say, there was a massive gap, and the reality is the game was established uh, a long, long time ago, you know, 140 years ago. It was created by fans and players, and it had its own rhythm. But obviously, there was never really a structure in place that ran alongside the actual league and, and national body to actually represent the views of those who actually pay for the game, i.e. the fans. And, and obviously in Scotland, that still works out about 54% of the revenue clubs get is generated through the gates. So fans have just really been missing that link, and it's, it's partly really due to the fact that clubs and the national bodies have always seen us as a challenge, I think, and uh, because fans operate in silos, if you're a Rangers fan, you're a Rangers fan, if you're a Wraith Rovers fan, you're a Wraith Rovers fan, and so it, it's been very, very difficult fans to unite. The only time it's really, really happened with any significance was sadly during the Rangers crisis, which obviously uh, a lot of people started talking and the chairman started to get an understanding that fans weren't happy about certain issues. From that you know, perspective, it's really, really important that fans uh, sort of galvanised. So our organisation is uh, is really there to try and express as, as many of the views as possible, but also 
articulate the way we, we deeply care about the game, no matter what club that we support. We might have different colours, but it's it's all really, really important for us that the game has a future. The challenge, as you've just alluded to, is is building a coalition of, of fans because, you know, football is by nature partisan and therefore there's there's an awful lot that divides us as well as unites us as football supporters. But I was thinking in particular about the, if, if there's any implicit criticism in what you're doing, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, then that criticism might be that, that, uh, that sometimes the, the boards of directors of clubs and the authorities take the fans for granted. But there are a lot of clubs, I'd give you St Johnson for instance, where there's a kind of benevolent dictatorship that the fans are happy with. So th- th- those kind of dynamics probably make it uh, very difficult to build that coalition. Yeah, I think undoubtedly it's it's different for, for different clubs and different fans groups without a shadow of a doubt. You know, no two clubs are the same. But the fans, uh, what they want is they want a similar type of experience. They want to have their club there for a longer time. And, you know, what we're not about is dictating what type of you know, system and structure that each club has. You know, for some, like Motherwell, they're moving towards community ownership. That's great. For others, like Ross County, where they've got a a fantastic benevolent person in the shape of Roy McGregor, uh, you know, that's equally just as good as important. What's more important for us is like to, where there is the opportunity, we can we can help the fans develop a deeper understanding of how their clubs run and have as much input to not just their club, but also to the national game and the steps that we take forward to make that happen. And, you know, that was one of the, the reasons why we actually wanted to be involved in, in setting this up. Uh, it was really just for the long-term benefit of the game in total. And, and right across Europe, there are um, organisations as the uh, Football Supporters Europe was, was set up about 10 years ago to try and galvanise fans in all the different areas, ironically uh, funded initially by um, Platini, uh, because he recognised that right across Europe, in the bigger leagues in particular, the clubs were getting so much more detached from uh, actually the, 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 the hardcore of fans who actually go and watch them. You know, there's a massive amount to do. I mean, and it's so difficult to uh, to, to put it down in little bite-sized chunks. But uh, starting off with getting his representation, uh, obviously, if an individual fans group go to Hamden Park with an issue, uh, it's easy for it to be dismissed or pushed aside. But if we've got, you know, currently heading for sixty-five thousand members, there's a, an even bigger opportunity there. As as part of what you would like to do, uh, have some sort of formal structure whereby fans of clubs are represented in the fan boards or in some kind of advisory capacity. Uh, you know, like, like the, the way they do it at some clubs and mini boards, if you. Like football boards, yeah. I mean, I think I think a lot a lot of that can actually work. I mean, especially in Germany, where um, they actually have the fans board and they actually elect the president of their club. I mean, many of the clubs actually, you know, the, the president's elected by the fans, and that's a huge step forward. And you know, that's something that we would like to to, to try and see, you know, emerge in, in, in our kind of culture. There was a lot, there's a lot of things, good things to be said about our fan culture, but a lot of things that can be improved upon. That's certainly one of the ones. It's a, it's a small step of, you know, democratising the game. Um, that you know, it takes away from those blazers, the faceless individuals that are maybe voting for things at Hamden. If we can actually get some of the, the structures in place, so yeah, I, I kind of find represented a board. Um, you know, tapping into the board itself is good. It gives the board a source of you know talent, a talent pool that maybe they hadn't realised was there as well. I think the challenges come where, and I've seen this in so many different occasions, where fans go on to the board of the club because 
the, the club think that's the right thing to do for 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 the fans. But they're they're kind of silenced and stymied right away by you know signing a you know non disclosure or yeah, and it becomes pointless being on the board if you can't say anything about anything. Uh, so there's a balance to be struck there, and you know, and we've demonstrated quite a few clubs aside of personal details and specifics on how much players get paid for wages and things like that. Most of the information should be freely available to the fans and the shareholders. So in order to achieve any of that, you obviously have to have some sort of dialogue. I imagine the two main players in terms of who to have that dialogue with would be the SFA and the and the Scottish Government. What has been their reaction to, to your initiative so far? Well, I mean, the SFA were fairly... Um, you know they, they were they, they were open and welcoming as as much as they could be, but I think they were fairly dismissive. I think they know the challenge ahead that we you know galvanising the fans. Yeah, I wouldn't say they welcomed us with open arms because if you don't you know there's a new organisation that's coming round the tracks and they're going to undoubtedly it, it, it appears the time criticise you, then that's hardly uh, something that you you would look forward to. Yeah, I can understand their their positioning. However, I, I think the Scottish government have again. Their position was, let's wait and see how you got on. You're starting with no members, no organisation, no structure, no board. Come back and talk to us. We'll take your views on board when you're you're up and running. So a year and a half later, we have a really strong, vibrant board of leading people, I think, who have come on to help us. Eventually, you know, we've still got a lot of work to do in terms of structure to make ourselves more democratic, to get more involvement from the fans. But a lot of that's been held back because we've not really the funding. We've now got a sponsor on board, so that allows us to send out emails and communicate with uh, with fans. And the, you know, the, the good thing for us is we, we we've just completed a, or we've just been involved in a couple of projects for the, the Scottish government, which gives us a little bit of funding to to to, to, to kind of move us along the track. And the key to that is that we have indicated to them we wouldn't accept anything from them unless it was in our terms i.e. that we need to be a completely independent organisation because there's no way that we could set this structure up um, and, and be told to be quiet at any one time by the football authorities or the government it's, it would be pointless And the, the numbers are very impressive as well I mean in such a short space of time was it 65,000 members you've got? Yeah, I mean, we've split the numbers, as I said, similar to the, the Football Supporters Federation in England. There's three categories of members. Uh, there's individuals, there's, there's fan groups, and uh, obviously there's like affiliates. We would like to get to 100,000. I don't think there's any, any doubt about that. And, uh, and within those memberships, there's lots of random members that have come in from different, from the grassroots uh, right up to you know serious uh, individuals uh, who um, are in the media spotlight who are just going to say like you know we need you know change and whether it's a radical change or whether it's a renaissance of the game you can you know or some something in between there's a definite mood for um, you know us to trying to articulate you know that type of uh, requirement for to see football thrive again in Scotland it's good you know and, and some of them like you know last week with uh, Hutchison Vale a, a, an iconic uh, boys club in, in, in through in the East Coast you know they joined over 500 members you know they're not archetypal fans you see turning up every 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 day and every Saturday at a match but through their membership of, of our organisation they want to look at the grassroots um, and different other members come with different uh, different items for the agenda and, and where we think it's valid we, we, we'll push those, those the, the case forward for them. What about you, your own uh, motivation uh, for for this, Paul? I mean, I know that you've got a background in football. You were you were involved with Sterling Albion for for, for yep. a long time. What is your motivation? I think that's uh, a good question. It's one I ask myself quite a lot. But I, I think I'm just a football fan. 
my Thistle fan, everybody knows that. I helped my local team out at Stirling. I've got a lot of experience at working at some big clubs at Arsenal and Chelsea, and uh, I worked for the England national team for 10 years. Uh, so I've got a lot of experience, and um, I, I kind of want to share that. And, and my passion, really, I guess, and that's the best way to describe it, is I believe that fans have had a raw deal for a long, long time. And I believe that their voice needs to be heard. And without this organisation, it would it would only be heard in little murmurs. And I think collectively bringing all them together has, has been really really important. And I, I think you can see whether you know, no matter what side of the various arguments you you, you, you believe, but whether it was the referendum campaign in 2014 or whether it was you know the whole Brexit thing and you know the, the votes around that, um, people can get galvanised. They can actually see that their individual voice can have an effect, albeit positive or negative, but at least there's a kind of there's a, there's a, a process there where people actually say, well, you know, somebody's listening to me, and that's been a lot. Of, you know, I think has been missing in politics for an awful long time, uh, but more importantly, where my passion lies in football, I, I really genuinely believe that fans have had a raw deal, and uh, they really haven't had the chance to actually be involved in the game, and given that they contribute you know, just about everything to the game, I think they should have more. And that that just, I want to do this because I think it's, it's the right thing to do. And I, I'm in a fortunate position. I, I, I've got the experience and the knowledge and a, a bit of time. And, you know, we've attracted some good people to help me. So that's 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 the, the challenge that we face. And I, I'm really looking forward to kind of driving on in a few years' time, passing over the baton to somebody else. You're, you're talking about galvanising fans uh, as well and I think one, one of the things that has galvanised fans as you alluded to a wee bit earlier was this whole Rangers thing in the past couple of years but but other things uh, which uh, the, the people do relate to because they're, you know, they're, they're happening in the real world one of them I think is, is the recent departure of Robbie Nielsen to go to MK Dons from Hearts which would appear to most of us to be a, to be a step down certainly I, I would imagine his pay packet will probably stuff with more fivers than it had been previously but 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 in terms of uh, in terms of the prestige, in terms of the kudos, a few people would probably disagree with that. Now, what, one of the, the the theories that we've been kicking around at the moment is that the that if there was a British league, that we we think that Scotland suffers incommensurately uh, because of its proximity to England and all the money that's sloshing around down there, and uh, and, and our our football is suffering badly because of that. As I said earlier in the programme, could you really see a situation with Hearts in a British league where Robbie Nielsen would have left for MK Dons? No, I mean, I, I don't think... I mean, the British League's been bashed about for such a long time. I mean, I think more realistically, my own opinion is something will, will emerge out of Europe for the for bigger clubs. You know, the Atlantic League notion or something along those lines. I think... Um, but lower down, I, 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 you know, there's a there's a real danger there. The golf is emerging. I mean, you would, you would never have dreamt in a million years that a club of the standing of hearts would lose their manager to a club like Milton Keynes, Don, so I know well, you know, I live down in that neck of the wood, and I, they are um, not that old, or, you know, they were, <laughs> they stole the, the league place from Wimbledon, as many people know, um, they've only got about 9,000 supporters, but it's just, as you say, it's the trickle-down effect of the millions and millions and millions of pounds. I mean, I, I was talking to a club chairman at the start of the season who had offered a striker what he regarded as a, a really quite a lucrative deal um, at a championship club, and he moved down to the the kind of Vanarama, whatever they're called now, the, the league below the, 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 I think the Conference League is its official title. Uh, he moved down to that and gets three times the wages, and it's not even a league side. So, you know, championship to non-league. And you can even see it, you know, as a Thistle fan, I see it now, that, you know, the players that we're signing from England uh, are all coming up from those bottom divisions. 
Um, so you, you can't really compete. You know, the, the level that you're competing at is just has been blown away, and it's a real danger. The, the talent drain, and the one I fear for is really, you know, again, historically, um, whether it was, you know, Celtic at the top end or, you know, clubs further down the, the food chain, you would have a player, you'd be able to watch the player, he'd become a bit of a club uh, legend in a short space of time because he was a, a great talent, and he would disappear at the age of 23 or 24. What's happening now is some of these guys that look as if they're going to be players playing the first team at 17 or 18 and they're snapped up by teams in the, you know Division 2 and Division 3 in England who can take a punt on them at 100,000 or 150,000 or the, or the like and you never see the guys again you know I mean Falkirk have sold uh, five different players down to either Swansea or to Norwich um, who basically hardly touched their first team probably the exception of Stephen Kingsley who had about 120 games or so and they're all disappeared uh, so the, the talent pool the talent's been sucked out of Scotland uh, not at 23 and 24 in the, the days of Hanson and Douglas department shows but now they're, they're, they've been taken away at 18-19 I think it's a real uh, danger uh, from that side of the thing the other danger is as I mentioned by like Party Thistle somebody sent a put something in one of our Facebook accounts a couple of weeks ago saying, is this a record? There was only three Scots in the party Thistle team. Now that's something that we used to equate to Celtic Rangers striving for European glory, getting better players in. But we are signing players from, you know, lower league clubs in England and where's the talent in Scotland? Where's it going? So there's so many different aspects that the money drain is having on uh, the game down south, but also the the big effect on ourselves. Um, so I, I, that's what makes me think that a radical reform of our structures in our game is, is potentially the only way forward. Another thing uh, that uh, that I think is probably not uh, engaging the, the the minds of Celtic fans or Rangers fans, but it's this uh, this uh, problem of strict liability. Uh, I know the Scottish government seem to be keen uh, to uh, to have clubs take responsibility for the behaviour of their own fans, but there doesn't seem to be uh, any kind of an appetite for it in football. My guess on that, and I could be wrong, is that that's because of the influence that Celtic Rangers have within the power structures of Scottish football themselves, and that most clubs would probably be quite happy to see it happen. Right across Europe, there's some sort of form of strict liability and, and the SFA have tried to adapt it you know, twice now unsuccessfully when they've taken it to the meetings. And, and, and most fans that I know of, and, and I, I say we've not asked out the membership this, and it's maybe something, if somebody asked us to do it, we would happily ask you know, the 65,000 members what they think about it. Uh, and it's maybe something we should look at. But the vast majority of fans that I certainly speak to, and it is only anecdotal, most of them don't really have an issue with it. If you do something bad, um, you know you should be punished, and fans, uh, fans groups across Europe accept that that is the, the case. What we don't want is anything that actually just pinpoints fans themselves. You know we've seen that with the, the previous acts that the government, and I think that's where they're struggling. That they don't want to to have legislation, so they're leaving it to the clubs to try and come up with a solution. But as you correctly say, with Celtic and Rangers there, who, let's be honest, have got the biggest amount of fans, and because they've got the biggest amount of fans, proportionally are going to the biggest amount of difficult customers, if we want to call them that, um, they're not that keen. But I know from talking with colleagues over from both Cologne and from Berlin this week, they found it incredulous, uh, the situation, for example, that Celtic and Rangers would sort out the damage bill between them for the, the toilets at, at Parkhead 
following the last visit of the Rangers. You know, the, the, the league wouldn't actually be involved in that, and they just thought that was really, really strange. Of course, the thing is, I mean, again, it's only a personal point of view, but but I think that the strict liability, we, we very quickly we would probably get rid of the sectarian problem that, that we have in, in grounds. I'm not saying we would eradicate sectarianism or racism or anything like that for society because of it, but certainly I think you would very quickly get rid of it in grounds because it would become unacceptable to behave like that because of the sanctions that were being imposed in your club and within a couple of years I think it would disappear and, and but possibly the, the threat to Celtic and Rangers in the long term would be that there wouldn't be that polarisation that exists within Scottish football and maybe clubs like Thistle and Motherwell would start to get more supporters I, I, I don't know you know maybe, maybe I'm just being a wee bit naive but, but certainly that's my view on it I, I think there's definitely elements in there that is absolutely right on the money. I, I think undoubtedly it would have an effect uh, that, you know, if, if the, the power of the many uh, saying, oh, behave yourself, if you behave like that. And we saw it in years gone by, I think particularly the Tartan Army, where the misbehavior, you know, there was lots of misbehavior in the early days I used to follow the Tartan Army. There was lots of misbehavior. And the, the power of the many kind of said, look, you know, look, guys, this is unacceptable behaviour. Stop it. Um, it's not completely eradicated from some of the nonsense that goes on. But I, I think you've got to get to that place where the majority of fans are saying, no, that's not acceptable conduct. You Because we're going to be punished because of your actions. So stop it and stop it. Now, as you say, it won't, you know, um, eradicate it from society. But if it, it's a step forward, it's, because football, unfortunately, is just the, the flag that they use to articulate some of their unacceptable views in, you know, 2016-17 that we're getting into, you know, whether it is homophobia, whether it is anti-Semitism or you name it, anti-sectainers, right across the board, you know, as a society, we don't want that. You've got to hope that the power of the many would influence, and I know certainly that's the view of um, the guys at uh, Nil by Mouth who just kind of feel this is such an obvious uh, open goal um, and a gap that needs to be closed to make it easier for, for everybody concerned. But I think, you know, rightly so, the, the Scottish government are waiting to see what the clubs come back with. They've told them they're not happy about it. Michael Matheson um, stood up at their, their last um, AGM at the SFA and said, uh, I want to see action in this. We think it's a way of improving fan behaviours. Um, so what the clubs come up with, I suspect there'll be some sort of compromise, but um, we just need to wait and see. Well, as long as it's a compromise and not a fudge. But, uh, you mentioned there Null by Mouth, and actually Dave Scott and Null by Mouth will be on the programme next week, so it'll be interesting to hear his views as well. Finally, uh, Paul, I'd just uh, like to... Uh, well, first of all, you should uh, tell us before you go the, um, the the website address for the association, but, uh, but what's next for the association? Well, I think the big thing that we're pushing just now, and it's, it might seem a very, very small point, small step um, to where we want to go to to get you know proper full recognition for fans. But what we are doing just now, we've got a fans awards. So we want fans to actually tell us who's the best player you've seen in 2016, what was the, the best goal that you saw, who, who, you know, who's the best referee, and believe me, there will be a best out there. Likewise, who's the worst? Who would you like running your club? All these kind of things. And it's just a small step because, you know, again, fans have never been asked that. We have the players voting for things we have the the, the journalists voting for things but the, the, the fans themselves have never had that chance so if you go to our website uh, the winners are going to be announced in off the ball uh, before the end of the year in BBC we want as many fans to, to vote as possible you know whether you're a Stranraff fan or you know a Wick Academy fan and everything in between it's a place for fans to have a little voice here uh, some of them are fun we're also looking for fan of the year uh, who is that you know 
97 uh, year old has been going to he never missed a Ross County game for <laughs> forever his whole life or whatever it is or somebody special has done something or another fan we want to recognise them and we've got a lovely little awards that our friends at Keith Ness Glass have, have done for us um, and you know we're looking forward to presenting them to the fans so in the first instance please go on to the, the Scottish Football Supporters Association website that's scottishfsa.org uh, and uh, give us your votes and hopefully you know you'll join up as well OK, I'll, I'll put a wee textual reminder of the website address, uh, Paul. But listen, thanks very much for your contribution today. Thanks for coming on and speaking to us. And, uh, and, and go with the best wishes of everybody at SFM. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Paul Goodwin of the Scottish Football Supporters Association. Maybe at last, um, a, a really honest and earnest attempt to try and redress some of the ills of Scottish football. It certainly looks as if Paul's going to give it a go, and I hope that uh, our guys can also support what he's doing. As he said, the website address is the scottishfsa.org, and I'll put the text, as I said, on the website. And now, just before we go... Just before we go, I have to mention the latest addition to the Arbroath Hall of Fame. Jimmy Jack, who was a centre-forward for the Red Lichties in the mid-60s, becoming the club's record league goalscorer with a total of 120 goals. Jack was a real physical presence, but was also widely liked and respected by opponents as a real sportsman. He was a bit of a pin-up too in the beetle-infested culture at the time. The late John Cushley, former Celtic and West Ham centre-half, once told me that Jimmy was one of the most difficult opponents he ever faced. I saw him play for our broth against Celtic, I think around about 1968, and as Cushley said, he was a very difficult opponent and also a real, real sportsman, a real gentleman as well. So our congratulations to Jimmy, who now lives in Carnoustie, eh, for the honour that the club have bestowed on him. And our thanks once again to Paul Goodwin and David Lowe for their contribution to the show, and to all of you who have taken the time to be at one once again with TWM on SFM.scot. Bye for now.